0: Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: Do you invest in precious metals or mining? There are some risks involved, but done well, the rewards can be lucrative. This is the Mining Stock Report, a look at today's investing with a focus on mining and gold. Your host is Christopher Haugen. We'll speak to the experts and the leaders, as well as bring you tips on investing, best practices, and more. Now, here's Christopher Haugen.
2: Welcome to the Mining Stock Report on the Voice America Network. I'm your host for the next hour, Christopher Haugen, and we've got a really exciting show lined up for you today with lots of great guests. Um First up, we'll be speaking with Brian Groves of Genesis Metals. And in the second segment, we'll be uh, talking to precious metals expert, Rick Rule of Sprott U.S. Holdings. But before we get into that, I'd like to remind people that I'm also the editor of a financial newsletter that specializes in mining-based investments, and we encourage our listeners to sign up for free at miningstockreport.com. 2016 has been a great year for gold, even taking into consideration recent dips the past couple of weeks. We have lots of tips and strategies available on our website and in our newsletter to help you, the investor, capitalize. So again, if you're interested in mining investments, go to miningstockreport.com, sign up for our newsletter, and get the free investing tools and other resources that we've got on the website. Anyways, enough on that. Let's get things kicked off. I'd like to welcome our next guest, Mr. Brian Groves, the CEO of Genesis Metals. Uh, Genesis trades in the U.S. over the counter under the symbol GGISF and in Canada on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol GIS. Welcome to the show, Brian. It's a pleasure to have you here with us today.
3: Uh, Hi, Chris. Thank you very much for having me, and uh, I uh, look forward to uh, discussing the company with you.
2: So, before we get started, I'd like uh, to give our listeners a a chance to get a little bit of your background uh, on yourself and how you got involved with Genesis.
3: Um, yeah, I, I've been in the industry for many years, uh, at least 30 years, uh, working with major companies and uh, juniors alike. Uh, most of my first part of my career was with uh, senior companies such as Miranda Placidome, and Amax. Mm-hmm. Uh, I entered the uh, junior uh, section of the market in uh, 2003, after 12 years with Placidome, uh, and at the end of my term with Placer, I was Head of Corporate Development for Placidome Canada in Toronto. I uh, joined the junior market, ran Toronto, Jr., and uh, elected to move back to the West Coast, uh, to British Columbia, and uh, was involved with the uh, large low-grade copper, uh, sorry, gold project in central British Columbia. Um, and then just two years ago, I uh, just happened to meet with Jeff Sundar, who's Executive Vice President yep. of Genesis. And Jeff and I had known each other for probably at least 12 or 13 years. Uh, I'd been very familiar with Jeff and uh, some of the companies that he'd worked with, like Supply Metal uh, and. Yep. Um, most recently, Underworld Resources, who made a significant discovery in the Yukon Territory, and that project and company was subsequently purchased by Kinross. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we picked up the conversation at the, that uh, trade show a couple of years ago. Uh, they, Jeff was working with a group called Entourage, a small junior explorer, looking for a key project to acquire. And uh, I was able to identify a project in Quebec by the name of Chevrier,
2: yep. uh,
3: and we were able to uh, basically acquire that project by way of a plan of arrangement by merging with the the then junior company that owned Chevrier, uh, and that uh, that transaction was announced in November of 2015. And uh, as we all know, the plan of arrangements on merges take, take a certain degree of time in terms of shareholder votes on, respect on the both sides of the equation. So that transaction closed in uh, May of this year. So okay. it's only been since May that we've actually been active on the project.
2: Well, let, let's talk about the Chevrier, uh, Chevrier project in Northern Quebec. Um, we are currently engaged in a work program. Um, We'd like to know a little bit more about the history of the property, the region, the, and the program that you're currently engaged.
3: Okay. Uh, Chevrier is uh, it's a, it's a project that has had uh, probably at least 25 to 30 years of exploration, um, most notably by uh, what, uh, the pre- uh, previous companies by the name of Minova. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Met, which were blue chip mid tier base metal producing companies, uh, they've been very active uh, on the Chevrier project in the 1980s and the 1990s. Okay, uh, and uh, they did uh, quite a, quite a, an extensive uh, drill program, uh, published an historic resource, uh, and that's what attracted us to the project in the yeah. first place. Um, Chevrier sits approximately 35 kilometers south. Uh, west of the town of Chibougamou, and uh, for those listeners who may not be familiar with Chibougamou, Chibougamou sits in central uh, eastern uh, Quebec. Yes. It's uh, a major greenstone-belt area. It has seen significant gold production, probably in excess of 5.5 to 6 million ounces, has been produced from the camp. It was most notably recognized as a copper-producing area, Several uh, copper uh, with minor gold occurrences have been mined in the area, uh, and the most recent was Man, which which the Man mine closed in early 2000. So since that time, there actually hasn't been an active mine uh, right specifically in the Shibugamu area. The nearest producing gold mine is approximately 120 kilometers to the west of Shibugamu. Mm-hmm. But again, it's a very, very active area. Uh, Shibugamu is the staging post for a lot of, a lot of uh, exploration ongoing in the northern part of the province up towards the uh, James Bay East main area uh, So it's, it's quite an active town um, even though it is not the' uh, it's, it's not uh, it's not the largest town in Quebec any stretch of the imagination but it has provides excellent infrastructure including daily flights to Montreal so uh, again just Chevrolet uh, attracted us simply because it had uh, it had significant uh Indications of gold mineralization. uh, The the property itself is approximately 100 square kilometers in area, so a very, very sizable land position. Mm -hmm. And it lays along a a major deformation zone, uh, and along that deformation zone to the southwest of us is actually the Monster Lake Project owned by Toma Gold and uh, that is currently under option to IM Gold and they are spending mm-hmm. quite a bit of money uh, advancing that project so we do have major players in the in the belt which is always uh, which is always good in terms of attracting attention to it now yeah.
2: oh, absolutely now you you have a work program currently do you not uh, on uh, ship yes I- Yeah.
3: That's right. I apologize. Yeah, so yep, no. our work program really is, is, is trying to understand what controls the gold mineralization on the okay. project. Uh, as, I, as I mentioned, Innet uh, was one of the first companies to identify the gold potential. Uh, a junior by the name of Geonova followed up with an yes. extensive uh, drilling project and uh, further expanded the resource, came up with their own resource numbers. Now, I just caution that I, I won't state what the resource is because it is pre-43-101. It, does, uh, it, it is referenced on our website in a 43-101 report that was completed in 2010, a compliant report, and it has the history of the exploration on the project there. So uh, what attracted us was the potential for higher-grade mineralization to exist. Uh, but as we've seen with subsequent... Uh, groups working on the project, you really have to understand what controls the mineralization mm-hmm. before you can actually uh, you know, establish a large large exploration project. So we've been very diligent and methodical in our approach. We've actually had the benefit of a lot of historic core dating back to in-mets, drill campaigns, as well as geonovas. We probably have in excess of 75,000 meters of historic core available. So this provides us an opportunity to re-log the core. Uh, we have a resampling program that has been completed We've collected approximately uh, 4 to 450 samples of mineralized ore, wow. and that is really just to establish the, uh, I, I guess, to, to, to validate the uh, historical assays uh, okay. and just to establish uh, that the, uh, the, the assays that were received by previous workers are, are actually reliable. Um, we've also uh, revisited several Chet trenches, historic trenches mm-hmm. that were completed by by both Inmet and Genova. Uh, we managed to rehabilitate those trenches, clean them, clean the surfaces, and resample them uh, and uh, we completed one new trench. The historic trenches we are hopeful that we will have assays available for release uh, in uh, by mid mid November mm-hmm. uh, and the drill core samples that we are saying we believe we'd be in a position to release those results um, probably late November, if not the first week of December. So that's our current program. Wow. Um, just expanding upon that, if I, if I may, Chris, Just sure, we've also absolutely. completed a very... Property-wide scale compilation uh, as far as we could see looking at available government data and assessment reports Really? No one has spent the time to try and put all the geological information together on the mm-hmm. project and as as I mentioned the the Most of the focus of, of work my previous workers had been on the main zone of mineralization. It, it probably represents maybe two to three square kilometers of a 100 square kilometer land position so it, it, you know it's, it's incumbent upon us to actually look at the look at the rest of the property uh, we have commissioned uh, a good consulting group out of Valdor Quebec to compile the data for us and we see the potential for multiple new targets being generated from that mm-hmm. compilation uh, again once we've had a chance uh, to ground truth um, those uh, new target areas. We expect that that will form the basis of a fairly significant drill program in uh, early 2017.
2: Well, so you guys have been pretty pretty busy. Which which? It,
3: yeah, uh, uh, as I said, we've really only been on the project since May, so mm-hmm. it's it's been <laughs> it's been trying to get up to speed with an understanding of the geology in as, uh, as rapid a time as we can.
2: Which I guess, and the, you kind of answered part of my, my next question, which is, what are you know, what are going to be your plans moving forward here over, let's say, the next 12 to 24 months?
3: Yeah, the, uh, the, the next 12 months, uh, you know, we can reasonably expect to see a significant drill program. Okay. Uh, we don't expect to see a lot of holes going into the main zone um, mm-hmm. unless we see some clear indications that we could significantly increase the resource. Uh, I think what... Uh, what is of more interest to to our company is the fact that there are other untested targets on the on the project yes. that uh, that really uh, you know every time uh, actually it's it's intriguing to see how geological understandings do develop over time and uh, uh, current understandings of at least the northern part of the property is that there is the potential for an east-west deformation corridor transacting the major northwest corridor, which certainly highlights that northern part of the property as a very, very pr- high-priority area for further uh, investigation. Uh, so I think uh, shareholders and, and potential investors can look for a fairly sizable exploration drill program next year. And uh, I, I think that uh, by by actually catching up with understanding what controls the mineralization and then looking for uh, new uh, uh, new environments for gold mineralization on the project is, is a far you know more uh, interesting way of advancing the property uh, mm-hmm. to see if we are able to uh, you know to increase the uh, the resource potential of the project.
2: Um, now could you elaborate on some of the benefits here of, of operating um, inside Canada and more specifically uh, Quebec itself?
3: Um, certainly, the I think uh, we are probably Quebec would have to rank as one of the most favorable jurisdictions globally and I think in the most recent Fraser Institute ranking, I think Quebec is in the top twelve uh, jurisdictions in the world. Wow. so a very supportive government uh, local uh, local communities are supportive uh, of mining uh, the infrastructure exists uh, in terms of even the investment the investment climate with government sovereign funds in Quebec is is very attractive. Uh, as you're probably aware, there are several yeah. sovereign funds that are Quebec focused uh, to uh, with funds to invest in exploration stage projects. And I, I think there even the the rebates uh, that the Quebec government offers. There's a 30% rebate on hard dollars expended in exploration that is yeah. basically given back to the company on an annual basis. is an excellent incentive for exploration Um, we are we are looking at excellent infrastructure in our particular project situation Uh, we have favorable rates uh, of hydroelectric power uh, some of the cheapest hydroelectric power in North America Uh, so I think the benefit also is um, a favorable exchange rate for gold production coming out of Canada in terms of uh, costs in Canadian dollars and selling the commodity in the US dollar denomination
2: And and access to the property is readily available?
3: Actually, access to the property is is very good. Uh, we uh, have a three approximately three lane wide gravel road that's wow. maintained uh, year round. Uh, it's a forestry access road that passes within about one point five kilometers of the property, and from there there would be secondary forest roads leading right to the middle of the project. So we could leave Shibogamu and be in the centre of the property within probably twenty five minutes. Wow. Uh, so it's, it's it's excellent access, uh, and that that also speaks to uh, having a very favorable drilling costs. As you can imagine, we won't need to set up a camp for drilling programs. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the drillers will have, to have the luxury of being able to drive home each evening, so that keeps the overall per meter cost down as well.
2: Now, the, the company also has a 100% interest in the October Gold property located in Ontario. Um, October covers That's a correct, pretty yeah. massive land package. What, what are your plans there moving forward?
3: Uh, our immediate plans uh, Chris, uh, we 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 really um, being a small company, it, it's yeah. it, it, it is a challenge to try and advance two projects, especially October, given its physical size. Yes, right. So it's a question of focusing uh, on one property while retaining you know exposure to upside on the other. So we are we are we have declared that we are actively seeking partners to help us advance October okay. gold, and uh, it's still a very very attractive land position. It's just that. Um, As I said, there's only so much we can do as a small company on on two fairly sizable projects. Yes.
2: Now, I find it's always great to get insight from people within the industry, so I'd like to get your take on the outlook for gold here moving forward in the the short and long term.
3: Um, Well, with recent events, uh, in the U.S., <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. of that's a topical, uh, very topical project. Um, well, it's I, relevant. I, Let's face it; it's, I, it's
2: relevant to the price of gold and to, I think, hard assets across across the board.
3: Yeah, I, I agree completely. So, I, I think the short term, we, we saw a spike yesterday as the election results were unfolding. Mm-hmm. Um, there, you know, the the, the whatever profit taking, new-term <laughs> profit taking, has resulted in a softening price back to pre-election level, shall we say. Um, I think long-term, based on the stated policies of the new administration, uh, the yep. dismantling of trade packs uh, will have an enormous downward pressure on the U.S. dollar. So yep. long-term, I, 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 I do believe that we will see um, a higher gold price as we move ahead because, uh, you know, traditionally, uh, gold and, and the U.S. dollar trades almost inversely proportionally to each other. So I, I would expect that any weakening in the US dollar will have a
2: investors uh, seeking a safety impact. hedge and, and currency. Yes, yeah.
3: exactly. And I think a the greater instability in, within the global currency markets will will make people look at gold as a as a, a safe haven and mm-hmm. more so in the future here.
2: Well, well, Brian, it's been a pleasure to talk with you today. Um, We wish you good luck with Genesis and and the the work program you guys are currently engaged, and, and look forward to talking to you again shortly.
3: Thank you very much, Chris, and thank you for your time today as well.
2: We've been speaking with Brian Groves of Genesis Metals. Genesis trades in Canada on uh, the Toronto Venture Exchange under the ticker symbol GIS, and in the U.S. over the counter under the symbol GGISF. If you'd like more information on Genesis Metals, you can get it on their website, genesismetalscorp.com. After the break, we'll be speaking with Rick Rule of Sprott U.S. Holdings, so stay tuned to the Mining Stock Report on the Voice America Network.
5: New Legacy Gold is expanding its iceberg gold deposit in the Cortez gold trend of mining friendly Nevada, which is the fifth largest gold mining jurisdiction in the world. New Legacy's Deposit is a Carlin style gold deposit, which can be some of the largest and most profitable gold deposits anywhere. New Legacy's largest shareholders include major gold mining companies Oceana Gold and Barrett Gold Corp. The world's largest gold mining company. New Legacy is well funded and professionally managed, and we invite you to visit our website to learn more newlegacygold.com that's n-u-l-e-g-a-c-y gold.com again n-u-l-e-g-a-c-y gold.com
1: listening to The Mining Stock Report with Christopher Haugen. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to host at miningstockreport.com. Again, that's host at miningstockreport.com. Now, back to this week's show.
2: Welcome back to The Mining Stock Report on the Voice America Network with your host, Christopher Haugen. As we talked about in the earlier segment, 2016 has been a banner year for both gold and silver stocks but in the last few weeks we've seen a pullback in gold and gold equities. This has led many investors to worry about whether the bull ride is over for these precious metals, or if this is just a very predictive pullback that occurs any time we see such a big run. There are always lots of opinions out there on the near-term future of gold, but if gold has indeed run its course, or if it's simply going to take a prolonged break to close out the year, perhaps it's time that we talk about what's the next big metals market that we should be focusing our attention on. Unfortunately, there are very few people who have the credibility or track record that force you to listen and take heed, which is why I'm really looking forward to speaking with our next guest. He takes a very measured approach to investing in the mining market as a long and public history of success. He's also an admitted contrarian and another big proponent of putting in the work. Our next guest is one of my personal favorites. He's a sought-after speaker, a well-known market contrarian, and uh, he's also the chairman of Sprott U.S. Holdings, Mr. Rick Rule. Uh, Rick, thanks for taking the time for uh, to join us here today.
6: Thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate
2: it. Now, Rick, let's uh, let's get get things kicked off with a question. I'm sure you've been asked about a million times the past couple of weeks, and and that's about this recent correction in the gold market. It's trading around twelve fifty-five this morning. What do you believe is going on here?
6: Uh, Well, first of all, I believe it's natural and normal to have Mm -hmm. a correction in the bull market. Uh, The gold market, and more particularly the gold equities markets, are notoriously volatile. And the truth is that uh, 20, 30, 40, even 50% uh, cyclical um, declines in secular bull markets (laughs) are commonplace (laughs) and we're experiencing one. They're healthy, and I think it had to happen. So. I think for a variety of reasons, it's a good thing. I don't believe it's the head fake that some people have been suggesting. I don't believe that the bull market is over. I think that um, we had an overbought, um, you know, uh, situation in the summer. And I think what we're experiencing now is natural and normal.
2: Okay. And, um, well, I guess to expand on that a little bit, do you you think that the U.S. Fed here can, can... sustainably raise interest rates um, in this current sort of global environment of zero and negative rates. Um,
6: we keep hearing I, about if, a possible, you know. Uh, I, I, if you give a stockbroker like me <laughs> the use of a word could, we can make any scenario plausible. Sure. I actually think an increase in the interest rate would be healthy for the global economy because it would force us to take a pill. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that anybody wants to take the pill. I don't want, think that anybody wants mm-hmm. to face the cure. I think that everybody wants to kick the pain down the road, and so I think the probability of a measurable interest rate increase is very, very low. Uh, I don't think that's something that, uh, ironically, I don't have to think that the gold bugs have to worry about the market doing the right thing and thus derailing the bull market in gold.
2: Okay, so you, you know, it, with you think that gold can continue on even in a in an environment here where, which which I mean it has previously so.
6: Yeah, I mean, I I personally believe that ultimately the stimulus for a gold bull market would be a a zero interest rate environment. A negative interest rate environment is insane. If you think about what gold is competing with in terms of sovereign instruments, you're competing with an instrument Mm -hmm. where the government for the first time in your life and my life tells you the truth, which is we're going to steal some of your money. Uh, Jim Grant famously called that return-free risk. And return-free risk isn't ultimately a lot of competition for gold. So, uh, and Again, sort
2: of carrying on to that same theme, uh, bullion versus the stocks, how do you think this is going to affect, let's say, the the price of gold equities over the near term and and longer term?
6: Well, I think an investor needs to consider being in both for different reasons. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gold is simultaneously a medium of exchange and a store of value, and so it has utility in portfolio as sort of a highly volatile form of liquidity or cash. You own gold in one sense the way that you would have cash to insure your lifestyle against perturbation and economic outcomes. And also you own it the way that you own life insurance or auto insurance. You don't necessarily want to get paid off by the set of circumstances that would make gold vault in value, but you sleep better owning some. Uh, absolutely, the gold equities are something that you own for a different reason. Mm-hmm. You own them because you expect the increase in the gold price to disproportionately reward the owners of businesses that successfully exploit the exploit gold. And I think there's room in portfolios. In fact, I think there's a need in most portfolios for both. Okay, and and your long-term outlook then for gold would be. I think the gold will hold its value, and yeah. I don't think that competing instruments will. Okay. Uh, I think it will feel like the gold price going up. I- if you would allow me a brief illustration here. One, sure, of, the, uh, one of the beauties of becoming my age <laughs> is that history <laughs> begins to make sense because you live some of it. Uh, about 30 years ago, I used to stay occasionally of necessity uh, at a lodging chain called Motel 6. Mm-hmm. Younger people won't know this, but it was named Motel 6 because a room there cost $6. I passed Motel Six on my way to work today, and it said Motel Six 63.95. Now, that means that a room that 30 years ago was six dollars, or 35 years ago was six dollars, is now 63.95. There's only one of two explanations for this: either a room at Motel Six is 10 times as spacious and 10 times as well appointed, or the denominator, that which yeah. you use to buy a room at Motel Six has depreciated in terms of utility by 90%. Uh, I would suspect it was the former relative to the latter. Now, what does this have to do with gold? Mm-hmm. When rooms at Motel 6 were cheap, that is, when they were $6, an ounce of gold would buy me five or six of them. Yep. Now that a room at Motel 6 is expensive, an ounce of gold will buy me 13 or 14 of them. That's what I mean about gold holding its purchasing power over time. Absolutely.
2: Yeah well I'd like to change things up a little bit that's a, that's a great illustration actually I think it it, it gets to the heart of the of the of the gold argument um, but again I'd like to change things a little bit here I, and I I think it'd be really valuable here to talk a little bit about your contrarian approach to the market um, in relation to mining what do you mean uh, when you say to, to be brave when others are fearful and, and fearful when others are brave
6: Um. Y- y- Natural resource markets, including precious metals markets, but all natural resource markets, are both volatile and cyclical. Mm -hmm. They're different things. The mining business and really all extractive businesses, you know, add back oil and gas, um, follow very, very, very broad cycles. And when, I mean, the first thing to understand, and I'll illustrate this too, is that bear markets like the ones that we've been through in mining markets, are the authors of bull markets. Mm -hmm. Um, A couple things happen. One, markets just psychologically become extremely oversold because people's expectation of the future is set by their experience in the immediate past. And if your immediate past has been painful, you expect the future to be painful. If your immediate past has been pleasant, you expect the future to be pleasant. But you ultimately resolve a bear market and come into a bull market one of two ways the very low commodity prices can increase the utility to users of that commodity and thereby increase demand organically. Uh, That's called demand creation. One way out of a a bear market is Mm -hmm. demand creation, where the low price of the commodity in and of itself stimulates demand. We aren't seeing that, and we haven't in the last bear market, as a consequence of a very slow economy globally, uh, synchronized. Mm -hmm. Uh, slow economy around the world. What we're seeing is something uh, more pernicious, but in fact more dramatic, which is supply destruction in a variety of of, uh, commodities around the world. Uh, We are and have been producing the commodity for less than the total cost of production. Let's look at uranium as an example. Both the International Energy Agency and Cameco believe that the total cost to produce a pound of uranium on a global basis, including the cost of capital, is between 60 and 65 US dollars per pound. The industry sells uranium in the spot market at $25 a pound. So you make the stuff for 60 you sell it for 25 mm-hmm. you lose $35 a pound and you try and make it up on volume. That doesn't work. It's what happens it. over time is that the industry capitalizes all the surplus capital that it raised in equity markets and made during bull markets. And the consequence of that is that you destroy productive capacity so that when the market the supply and demand rebalance mm-hmm. small changes uh in the price can't be addressed by the industry in terms of supply increases because they've obliterated their ability to supply and you get these price spikes You'll recall in the early part of the last decade, 2000, 2001, 2002, we watched this occur writ large as the commodity bull market that we experienced in the decade of the 90s made itself felt around the world. The uranium price went from $8 to $130. The Mm -hmm. oil price went from $18 to $130. The copper price went from $0.90 to $4.50. This is the response to Supply destruction, and further evidence of my suggestion that bear markets are the authors of bull markets. so when I say you must be a contrarian or you will be a victim mm-hmm. what i 'm saying is that the very punishment being inflicted on the investment community and on the issuers during the during the the bear market is setting the stage for a dramatic recovery. That's the nature of the way resources work. And the corollary to that, of course, is that when you have a commodity that's enjoying sort of 50% operating margins, Mm -hmm. it's too good to last. People are over five or six years reinvesting the surplus cash and also inducing capital markets to come up with money as a consequence of very, very high operating margins. And the supply response always Drowns out demand, particularly where high commodity prices are reducing the utility of the commodity to users and encouraging conservation or substitution. Well,
2: this now, my next question might actually you may have already answered it here because you were talking about the uranium side, but you know, we seem to be emerging from this prolonged bear market for mining equities where you know companies were grossly oversold, not just gold and silver. Um, Since the move with gold's really already happened and the being a deep value guy, where do, you, where do you believe investors should be focusing their attention if they want to anticipate the next move?
6: Well, certainly, if you would have asked me three months ago, the answer would have been coal. Um, <laughs> we, we began to get the sort of response that you would expect with supply destruction yeah. in coal. It's my belief that the oil and gas sector will cool off before it heats up, Mm-hmm. But certainly I, did, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity in the oil and gas business, which is at once a bigger and a better business than the mining business. Uh, if I'm right and we have a sell-off in the oil prices and oil equities, I think we're going to have a really catastrophic sell-off in oil and gas junk debt. Yep. Uh, and if that happens, I think that'll that'll <clears throat> set up a once-in-a-decade opportunity. Um, longer term, I like the entire base metal pro- uh, uh, complex, but I probably particularly like the copper business. Um, and I like the uranium business. Uh, I think the stage is being set for uh, maybe not the same type of recovery that we enjoyed in the last decade, which is truly insane. Uh, but it wouldn't surprise me at all to see the uranium price recover to $75. And the increase from 25 to 75 would do some pretty stunning things in the uranium market, particularly because the memory of the last bull market in uranium is so fresh in speculators' minds. Yeah, absolutely. I think the market response might be really um, <laughs>
2: crazy. Well, the um, I'm gonna I'm gonna close out the rest of the show uh, with asking a question. I do uh, one of the things that we we promote on the show has been that if you're going to do your own stock picking, you need to do the work. That, that's the bottom line. We, Obviously, you do this sort of thing every day when you analyze markets and individual and equities. So when doing your due diligence on a company or analyzing a market, could you give us uh, one thing that's a personal favorite of yours to look for in a potential investment? as like as an example for myself, I, I tend to read through the MDNA because it, I believe it's it provides some context to what management's been doing and operations have been doing.
6: Uh, I'm afraid I'm going to have to give you three because I don't think you can do one in isolation. No, that's great. Uh, (laughs) I've come to believe that the collective resumes of the management team Mm -hmm. have to suggest expertise specific to the task at hand. Too often, someone will describe him or herself as having been a success in mining, when the success came, as an example, operating a gold mine in Archean terrain in French speaking Quebec, mm-hmm. when their proposal is to look for copper in young tertiary volcanics in Spanish speaking Peru. Yeah. And the preparation, the skill set uh, with the management team isn't necessarily suited to the task at hand. So I want a very high correlation. Okay. between the resumes of the people who propose to add value and the project that they propose to add value in. S- specific expertise. yeah. Yes. The second thing I want is scale. Uh, too often, management teams go looking for a small mine, this sort of bootstrap proposal, the idea being that they can utilize the cash flow from the small mine to grow the company organically without having to add mm-hmm. uh, additional dilution. The problem with that is, Seldom works. Uh, everything that can go wrong with a small mine can go wrong with a big mine, but a small mine can only ever make you small money, never big money. So if you're going to take the risk inherent in mining, I think that you need to go large. Yes. The second problem, of course, with that thesis is that the skill sets required in exploration, construction, development, and operation are too broad and too diverse to often be accommodated to one small company. In other words, the skill sets required to do that are hard to maintain and hard to afford Mm -hmm. in a small company. And, And the third thing is that in every phase of investing in a junior, what you are doing is you're answering a series of unanswered questions, and you need to determine two things, I guess, really, three things. The first thing that you need to determine is that the management understands what they're about. In other words, if you say, yes, I'll put money in, but tell me what the biggest unanswered question is that is in front of you right now, uh, how you propose to answer it, how much money it's going to take you to answer it, what it's worth if you get a yes, and what time frame it's going to take. What you'll learn if you propose a question like that is that fully 80% of the juniors don't understand that they're in the business of answering unanswered questions. Mm -hmm. The most important unanswered question to them is, will I have a paycheck in 12 months' time frame? And while it's important to them, it doesn't add any value to you. Absolutely. What's useful with this is that you can eliminate 80% of the companies that are bothering you for money and concentrate your efforts more fully on the 20% that stand a chance to deliver value to you.
2: And th- that, Great answer. Uh, I think that's really going to be helpful to people here who are um, you know, looking for, for additional things to look for when they're doing their own due diligence. And, uh, anyways, Rick, thanks again. I know you're busy and uh, I want to thank you again for taking the time to join us
6: here. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for your efforts to uh, educate another generation of uh, mineral exploration speculators. No worries. You, uh, you have a great
2: day, and we'll uh, talk to you again soon. Thank you. We've been speaking with Rick Rule, the chairman of Sprott U.S. Holdings. Sprott trades on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol SII. Sprott is a natural resource investment firm that offers investments to all individuals who are interested in the precious metals, mining, and oil and gas sector. If you'd like more information on Sprott, go to the website at sprottglobal.com. That's Sprott, two T's, global.com. After the break, we'll be speaking with James Anderson of New Legacy Gold. Mr. Anderson will talk to us about his exploration program that's been going on at their property in the Cortez Trend and a recent deposit that they've discovered. So make sure to stay tuned to the Mining Stock Report on the Voice America Network.
5: New Legacy Gold is expanding its iceberg gold deposit in the Cortez Gold trend of mining-friendly Nevada, which is the fifth largest gold mining jurisdiction in the world. New Legacy's deposit is a Carlin-style gold deposit, which can be some of the largest and most profitable gold deposits anywhere. New Legacy's largest shareholders include major gold mining companies Oceana Gold and Barrett Gold Corp., the world's largest gold mining company. New Legacy is well-funded and professionally managed, and we invite you to visit our website to learn more. NewLegacyGold.com. That's N-U-L-E-G-A-C-Y Gold.com. Again, N-U-L-E-G-A-C-Y Gold.com.
1: are listening to the mining stock report with christopher haugen if you have a question or comment about the program please send an email to host at miningstockreport.com again that's host at miningstockreport.com now back to this week's show
2: welcome back to the mining stock report on the voice america network with your host christopher haugen I'd like to welcome to the show James Anderson, the CEO of New Legacy Gold Corp. Uh, New Legacy trades on the TSX venture under the ticker symbol NUG and in the US, over-the-counter under NULGF. Uh, I've known James for several years and consider him to be a very good friend of mine. Uh, New Legacy Gold is a gold exploration company that is focused on the Cortez Trend property located in Nevada. Uh, It's in close proximity to uh, Barrick's Gold Rush deposit. Welcome to the show, James.
7: We are good friends, and thank you, Chris.
2: It's great to be here. Now, for the sake of our listeners, could you give our audience just a little bit of a
7: background about yourself and how you got involved with New Legacy Gold? Sure. I was in the brokerage business in Vancouver, Canada, for many years, and as part of the the brokerage community Mm -hmm. here in Vancouver, one of the, the sort of subsets of the brokerage community is we finance junior mining exploration all over the world. It's one of the things that the brokerage community in Canada does very, very well and kind of uniquely because there is no other facility worldwide to do that. So I was involved with that for many years. Uh, I got out of the brokerage business. And in 2012, New Legacy Gold, which at the time uh, was run by a very long-term friend of mine, Albert Matter, who you know, Chris. Yes. And in 2012, New Legacy drilled a discovery hole onto this project that we were uh, exploring in Nevada. And that drill hole, our hole six on this property, returned 27 meters Mm -hmm. of 1.4 grams of gold. And that's very, very good. But more importantly, the head geologist that we have working with us, Roger Steininger, was able to identify that as Carlin-type gold mineralization, and Carlin systems in Nevada can be very, very large. So, uh, I met with Albert. Albert and I agreed that I should join the, the the company as CEO. Albert became chairman, and the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> well, before we get into your,
2: uh, I guess your recent drill program, um, which I want to talk about. Perhaps we could
7: talk a little
2: about the Cortez trend and why this is so significant to the
7: company. So, in most parts of the world, gold deposits do not happen just one at a time. Yeah. They almost always happen um, in trends or in, in areas where you get a whole bunch of, of gold deposits, mm-hmm. and that's where we explore. I mean, it's, it's a little bit, let's say, in the, in the oil and gas business, um, we explore for oil and gas in West Texas. Uh, You don't necessarily explore for oil and gas in other parts of of the world. There's not very much oil production in Hawaii, let's say. (laughs) Uh, So in Nevada, which is a very large and important gold mining jurisdiction, if Nevada was its own country, it would be the fifth largest gold-producing nation in the world. So there's lots and lots of gold that's produced there. Most of that gold, though, happens in these Carlin-type gold systems that I've been referring to, and they, they are named after... The small town of Carlin in this part of Nevada and then there are several trends that uh, happen generally on a northwest to southeast basis through the state the most famous one is the Carlin trend and it's most famous because the, the there is more gold that has been discovered and produced there than anywhere other area and it's a little bit older we're working in the Cortez trend which mm-hmm. is just south of the Carlin trend um, the the discovery of the large deposits has been a little bit later than in Carlin, but arguably the deposits that are that exist in in Cortez are even more robust, have more gold, and at a higher grade than even some of the um, the best Carlin deposits in wow. in the Carlin
2: trend. Wow, that's uh, and for the listeners, if you want to, you can actually download. Uh, we have. A map of the region so you can get a better idea of where they're located in relation to other companies and and the Cortez and the Carlin Trends. I'd like to discuss both the iceberg and uh, avocado deposits uh, because you've been really active uh, lately with your exploration. There was some recent news regarding the newly discovered avocado deposit that you had a significant that's really had a significant impact on your share price and trading volume. Um, Could you elaborate a little bit on this and what's what's
7: been going on there? sure so during the the downturn in gold for the last few years up until the beginning of 2016 we chose to expend almost all of our exploration dollars on what we call our iceberg deposit so named because when we got the initial drill results we felt that it might be just the tip of the iceberg in in the whole deposit area so we we focused on that spent most of our money there Um, this year however We've chosen because uh, we've got a little bit more money in our Treasury We've chosen to drill some exploration holes some real wildcat holes if you will on Different portions of this very large project that we have so it's the the project itself is 38 square miles in size uh, For those of you who, who are happier with metric. It's 98 square kilometers Uh, But nonetheless, a very large area, and we've been able to go out and and test some of these other areas. Mm -hmm. One of them is called avocado. It's called avocado because, in plan view, the induced polarization geophysical anomaly that we were drilling kind of looks like a sliced (laughs) avocado. So I called it avocado a number of years ago, and the name stuck. So, uh, Regardless, we drilled our second exploration hole into that this year, our second and third exploration hole. Both of them came up with very important gold mineralization in a completely new area that's about a mile and a half north of Iceberg, where we've been spending our money and getting very, very good results. The first uh, of these two holes, which is our avocado hole number two, got a 200-meter, so it's a 655-foot interval of gold mineralization. It's at a quarter of a gram per ton, so it's fairly low grade. And some people will look at it and say, well it's you know it's only a quarter of a gram, you know, it doesn't you know quite maybe make the the, the economic grade. But having six hundred and fifty five feet of continuous gold mineralization in just the second hole that we've drilled out there, that's very, very important. And our geological staff, headed by Roger Steiniger, feels that feels quite strongly that we are likely to be just on the periphery of another gold deposit there. The, the next drill hole that we drilled out there got 25 meters of a gram, uh-huh. so the, the grade has already started to improve significantly. Yes. And that one was 650 meters, so about 2,100 feet away from the, the, the other drill hole. So we've already established a, a very large area it's virgin territory out there. There's almost no historical mm-hmm. drilling, so it's a blank canvas, and we're we're very excited about it. Well, that's that's great to hear. Um,
2: now, aside from avocado, New Legacy has also been working uh, on their Iceberg deposit for the past several drill seasons. Um, please tell us what's going on with Iceberg and how the
7: exploration company,
2: uh, sorry, exploration program has been progressing.
7: So once again, we've been spending most of our money over the last few years at Iceberg. We've drilled. As we speak, uh, almost 100 drill holes into Iceberg. And there's about 8 or 10 drill holes that are out for assay yep. currently, and, and you know, we'll see the, how much gold those ones have in them. But generally speaking... You'll be drilling into to November, uh, am I correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's correct. We, we actually had three drills turning on the property a little bit earlier, but what we found is that we were getting the, 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 the data back... Or the, the we were drilling so quickly that the data was coming back too slowly for us to be able to adjust our drill patterns so currently we've just got one drill turning on the property and we'll, we'll likely go in that direction for the next couple of months but back to iceberg I, iceberg is a gold deposit that's about three kilometers long up to 500 meters wide the north zone and central zone is where we've been concentrating there's a south zone to it as well. We've drilled about a half dozen holes into that. The first couple were very good. The next few weren't so good. So we've kind of put that on the back burner for a while. But at north and central zone, we get good, consistent, carlin-type mineralization. It's all oxidized. Mm -hmm. And for your listeners, um, if I can just detail that for a moment, it makes a big, big difference in Nevada whether the mineralization is oxidized or sulfide. Ours is all oxidized. And what that means is that the good Lord has done a lot of your processing for you. You're able okay. to take that material, put it on a leach pad, uh, put some cyanide on it come back 30 or 60 days later and you're mining gold so it's all oxidized it's near surface and it's very good grade this is likely to be a very robust um, gold deposit for mining in the op- in the you know in, in the years ahead uh, and again now is uh, because it's oxidized, does that make it more economical it, it certainly does. Um, if it's not oxidized, then you have to take the material and put it through either a roaster or an autoclave. Okay. It's uh, very capital intensive. In Nevada, despite the fact that uh, the it's such a great gold mining jurisdiction, really there's just Newmont and Barrick who have the big autoclaves. So to, to not have to go down that route, I think, will be very beneficial for us. Okay. Now, we've talked about
2: uh, avocado and iceberg. Um, but this really is a large exploration property. Um, could you speak uh, to the size of the property and why this is such a unique feature for, for New Legacy?
7: Yeah, it is. So it's, it's 38 square miles. So let's, you know, let's think about that for a second. Um, if you drive four miles in one direction stop, turn right, and then drive for 10 miles <laughs> and make it square. It's a very, very big property. Yeah. We have the second largest land holdings in the Cortez trend after our, one of our major shareholders, Barrick Gold. Yes. Um, Barrick mines almost a million ounces of gold from the Cortez trend per year. Wow. Think about that for a second. It's 20% of the largest gold mining company in the world. gets its production right from here but to the size of our property um, we've probably only explored about 10 (coughs) percent pardon me of the whole surface area Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. the of the land package so we will be exploring there for many many years to come okay now you mentioned Barrick being a shareholder
2: you guys have built a really strong uh, shareholder base that includes a number of large mining companies and institutional investors Perhaps you could tell our audience a little about, uh, about
7: this and why it's such an asset for New Legacy. I think it's a testament to the quality of the project, the size of the project, and the, the drill results that we've been getting over the last few years that we've managed to attract so many strong shareholders to the company. So our largest shareholder currently is Oceana Gold. Oceana is a mid-size Australian gold mining company. They have a corporate mandate to expand more in the Americas, and part of their investment in us uh, is uh, a reflection of that. Oceana uh, currently owns 17.5% of our company. They've been very, very helpful, very supportive of our exploration efforts. Barrick Gold, that's the largest gold mining company in the world, yep. and uh, very active in, in the Cortez. As a matter of fact, on the highway leading into Cortez, there's billboards that say Barrick Gold Mining Country. So you, <laughs> you, know, you know you're know you in Barrick Gold Mining Country when you see that. Uh, but they own eleven and a half percent, eleven point eight percent of our company currently. Wow. Uh, Rob Kretschmeroff, who is Barrick's head of global exploration, has joined our board. So again, uh, just a reflection on what the exploration people at Barrick think of our project and of our exploration efforts. Uh, I guess well, one one last one. Uh, again, very supportive, very helpful um, shareholder, Tokaville Gold Fund from New yes. York. Uh, it's one of the premier. Gold mutual funds in the world, and uh, they've been very supportive of our efforts as well. Uh, that's great to hear. And um, and what's the current cash position of the company? It's about thirteen million Canadian dollars, so about ten million U.S. dollars. And what's the uh, current estimated market cap for the company? About ninety million U.S. dollars. Okay. Uh, so aside
2: from the experience you've had in the Cortez Trend, um, what are your thoughts regarding operations within the state of Nevada?
7: Well, I was born in Timmins, Ontario, and Timmins, Ontario is a small city in, in Northern Ontario, Canada. It's mining country. Mm-hmm. There's gold mines and base metal mines all over the place. And the people of Timmins like mining. It is, they are miners, it is considered great economic activity to provide metals to the world marketplace. A lot of places in the world don't view it like that. A lot of places in the world view it as um, uh, an environmental problem. They don't see a, uh, a small open pit on a hill as economic activity. They see it as a, a blight. Mm-hmm. And the people of Northern Nevada, they like mining. There's a lot of people who make a very, very good living from mining in Northern Nevada. You can You can get permits to explore in Nevada easily there is there is a rule of law and a permitting structure that works it's not uh, you know it's it's not crazy easy to be able to get these permits there is a robust permitting process but it's knowable we know what we need to do to present to the regulators the permitting process and we go about that but you can permit in Nevada you can explore in Nevada you can mine in Nevada so all of those things lead us, as, a, as an exploration company, to be driven towards Nevada. If we find a really large gold deposit here, yeah. our shareholders deserve to have the financial benefit of being skillful enough and lucky enough to be able to pull that off. Mm-hmm. There are lots of places in the world where as soon as you find yes. a big deposit, then there is some general or some colonel in charge... <laughs> Who will steal that deposit from you? Yeah, absolutely. Political stability is a huge
2: is a huge factor. I think for these exploration companies,
7: uh, that I think a- I think so because again, the, this the 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 gold exploration business is difficult enough without having that asset stolen from you at the end of the day. So we we love Nevada. It's a great place to do business. The people of Nevada are are, are excellent. Uh, they're miners and we just enjoy working there. And the, and the infrastructure in and out of the property is... Well that too is true. Um, you can drive a Chevette right <laughs> in the middle of our property. Uh, there are two paved highways to within about a 15 or 20 minute drive. Okay. There are three, well there are two enormous gold mines within a 15 or 20 minute drive. So the availability of, of mining labor, the availability of electricity, water. Um, first world amenities. It's, it, it is beyond compare to mining anywhere else in the world as far as I'm concerned. James, thanks for joining us today. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. The pleasure is mine. Thanks for inviting me, Chris. I, I can't wait to do it again.
2: We've been speaking with James Anderson, the CEO of New Legacy Gold. New Legacy trades on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the ticker symbol NUG or over-the-counter in the, in the United States under the symbol NULGF. If you'd like more information on New Legacy Gold, we encourage you to check out our website, miningstockreport.com, or go to newlegacygold.com. We always advise people to perform their own due diligence, so if you have a question about this interview or New Legacy directly, call their Investor Relations contact. That's all the time we have for you this week. So we'd like to uh, take the time to thank today's guests for joining us here. Uh, Brian Groves of Genesis Metals, uh, Rick Rule of Sprott U.S. Holdings, and of course, James Anderson of New Legacy Gold Corp. And thank you for taking the time to uh, listen and join us here today. It's been my pleasure to be your host. So we'll see you again next week. And for now, this is Christopher Haugen of the Mining Stock Report signing off. Good luck in the markets.
1: Thank you for tuning in to the Mining Stock Report. Please be sure to join Christopher Haugen again next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, for another edition of our program on the Voice America Business Channel. Here's hoping that you have a profitable week.